everyone. Welcome back to episode four of Stop, Drop, and Watch Bridgerton. I'm Sabrina. And I'm Kat. So this week's episode starts with Daphne going to the palace to visit Prince Friedrich and the Queen. He gives her a necklace, almost like a collar of sorts, and he puts it on her pretty quickly before she can actually even look at the necklace, it feels like. She had a strong reaction to that. It was a really strong reaction. Like, I don't know, but the gasping when she's like putting on the collar slash necklace was a lot for me. Like, I was wondering, like, is she choking or is she just being really dramatic about this? But this whole scene, even leading up to the necklace gift, uh, I kind of felt a little bit bad for Daphne. Like as she was walking in, everyone was whispering about her. People were calling her like a wisp of a girl or just the commoner. And I feel like that's kind of hard (laughs) to hear how everyone's talking about you. And I guess this is a time where she actually can hear what everyone else is saying as onlookers. So (laughs) I know this just kind of like gave, made it more dramatic for when she finally got this gift. But it was, it was a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think normally the way she reacted was actually really similar to when the Duke would touch her when she was dancing or taking off her glove in her dream. But in this scene, even though it looked like the exact same reaction, I think it was actually supposed to convey that she suddenly felt strange that someone else was touching her and that it was like a gesture receiving this color meant something more than she was ready to actually accept or or that she even wanted, maybe. Yeah, I couldn't tell if it's because she didn't like Friedrich or is she just like realizing, for me, it was very like symbolic of like a collar, like chaining her like to this destiny. And I don't know if this just really like made it real for her <laughs> that this is going to happen. And, you know, she's not going to be with Simon. She's probably going to be with the prince. Right. I guess when I first saw it, I thought it was like kind of an overreaction. Like she's being a little too dramatic, but... Honestly, if I were to actually place myself in Daphne's shoes in this scene, I don't think I would feel super comfortable if I was wearing such a visible symbol of a man who I'm not even sure how I feel about yet, let alone I think I might be falling in love with this other guy. Yeah, I think Daphne's not there yet. I also probably, (laughs) he could have given a loser necklace. I think that maybe would have helped the situation, (laughs) but... Yeah. If I remember correctly, I think the advice that mothers often gave their daughters roughly in this you know, era was that you can only accept small tokens from men that you're not engaged to, maybe a little bit of perfume or like sweets or a cake or something. But a necklace from a man that you are not actually formally engaged to, especially when, you know, it's coming from a prince. Those are real jewels in there. It's not, you know, some quick little thing he picked up off a street vendor Like, that's a big deal. And I'm actually kind of surprised, you know, her mom was okay with her accepting it and or wearing it. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, I I was like, this is a very expensive gift when he gave it. But Mm -hmm. even compared to like an engagement ring, like, I don't know which is more expensive because that that necklace looked like it had a lot of whatever diamonds. We see Marina being literally examined by Lord Rutledge. Like, he wants to see her teeth. It's really, really clear that this is, you know, a very derogatory, like, demeaning experience for her. And when he leaves, you can tell Marina's really angry and is asking, why in the world would you put this, you know, suitor in front of me when I have perfectly eligible, nice 
gentlemen who are also calling on me already. Yeah, and the answer is because he's okay with basically having, well, it's not even a bastard. It's like not his child, right? Right. He he would be okay being cuckolded. He's so desperate to get an heir that he would not mind if at least the firstborn, maybe their only child, right? It's definitely a risk he'd be taking um, is not actually his own. I mean, honestly, I'm a, I'm a slightly surprised by this. Unless Lord Rutledge knows that he's actually infertile, I would be surprised if he weren't at least upset, if not angry, when the secret comes out later. Yeah, it made me wonder if he was already in on it. Like, is this like his, mm-hmm. you know, Lord Featherington's friend? And they've already kind of had like this like hush hush under the table. But like you said, like, I guess thinking about it now, he probably doesn't know. So maybe he really right. just is going to get tricked, but be okay with it later. It's, it's kind of a big risk. We also see Philippa's first suitor, Mr. Finch walks in and Lady Featherington assumes that he's there for Marina, but he says, I'm actually here for Philippa. That was a good surprise. Like, I don't think we had any hint that was coming. At least I don't remember it from the prior episode. So good that she's getting someone. He's kind of funny. Like, he definitely is not the perfect suitor probably for (laughs) anyone else, but they're kind of cute together. And then from there, we get to see your favorite character, Eloise. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I don't know if she's your favorite anymore. But in any case, she she makes her appearance. Penelope and her shopping in the square and kind of talking about, like, debutante and marriage life for them in the future. Eloise makes some comments about how feathers in the hair draws more attention. It's like a bird basically looking for its mate. I actually thought that line was hilarious. I mean, I think it was a really good, funny point about how there are all all these women wearing feathers in their hair all the time. And like, you know, the queen, Lady Feathers, like everyone's wearing all these feathers. Um, And it very much is a women trying to attract their mates. I was actually kind of confused by it because my first thought was like peacocks and like peacocks the males are actually the ones with the fancy feathers so I was like oh I guess maybe it doesn't apply to peacocks but no so you're actually completely right that almost generically within the you know bird world it is the males who are attracting the female mates but I think Eloise's point is in their world these women are actually you know becoming super accomplished, showing how well they dance, they play the pianoforte, you know, they read all these things. And they are the male birds in this courtship kind of stage without um, wanting to be too overt about it. But they are really trying to attract a mate. Ah. Just like your male peacock. (laughs) My male peacock. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But I also like in this conversation, she also kind of talks about how she doesn't want Daphne basically to get engaged because she knows she'll be next in line. I think her line was, I hope she stays on the shelf forever. And I was like, okay, even if that's joking, it's kind of mean because you know Daphne, like your sister really wants uh, this life. But I mean, she she's absolutely right. Like it will be her turn next, right when Daphne is done. I mean, it was a super flip line for her to say that. And I would hope she doesn't actually believe that or think that I think it was more just like a venting to your best friend about what's coming I hope so (laughs) they also talk quite a bit about Lady Whistledown in the scene where Eloise says Lady Whistledown is living Eloise's dream life in a sense where she's independent making money and she really wants to meet her yeah I think I focus on like Penelope's responses here where she's just like do you really think that's like the life that you want or that she has? Like, and you kind of like just have this like a little bit of back and forth between them. But I think it's just showing Eloise's interest is growing in Lady Whistledown. 
that maybe her best friend is not as enthused. Right. That Eloise is kind of developing this obsession that Penelope can't quite follow her. Right. I mean, Penelope's got her own hands are busy. Also, really funny line from this interaction was when Eloise is trying to convince Penelope to lie and like not go to the ball. And she says, tell your mother you caught whatever Marina has. And I just thought it was like, <laughs> I definitely laughed. I also, I thought it was, again, a really good line too, because I'm just imagining Lady Featherington's face if Penelope tries to tell her, oh, I've, I think I've caught what Marina has. You know, Lady Featherington would die. <laughs> she would. She would. She'd also just be like, who? <laughs> like, where? <laughs> yeah. How'd this happen? Okay. And so from there, we move on to the boxing match between Mandridge and... Some other guy, Friedrich's guy. I also wanted to tell you, based on last episode, when the prince came to Daphne at this point, this is the exact moment where I could hear his accent for the first time. (laughs) And I wrote down a note in like bold and I was like, I can hear it finally right now. (laughs) Amazing. I'm very happy for you. Very glad that you hit that realization. Maybe next will be Genevieve. You'll be able to tell that her French accent is uh, really fake too. So she sees the Duke across the room and, of course, kind of spaces out again around Prince Friedrich. So I'm surprised the prince doesn't yet think she's simple-minded, too. Half the time they're talking, she's completely zoning out, staring at Simon. And I have to say, this one I actually kind of understand. I don't know about you, but I definitely have a thing for when guys have, like, those half-rolled sleeves. I've always thought it's, like, very attractive. So this was actually the scene where I most was like, wow, this is, like, a good-looking dude. Even though, objectively, I already realized Simon was, like, a very good-looking actor. I think my two responses, I was like, okay, like, this is supposed to be really attractive. And then I was like, Simon's are like, a little bit skinnier than I thought they would be. And secondly, I'm like, he has a lot of veins <laughs> popping out. And I, so I, like, had to look away <laughs> like moved on to the next scene. Thank you for ruining that for me. (laughs) (laughs) The prince and Daphne are sitting next to each other in the middle of this like vicious boxing match having a super tender conversation where they're talking about their goals for life and they basically both agree that they really want to have a family and that family is really important to them having children. Daphne also kind of hints around and tries to figure out where the prince wants to live long term to figure out is this like a hey we need to go back to prussia if we were to get married am i going to germany and he actually tells her that he thinks there's no better place to live or raise a family than england which i'm sure helped like you know calm some of her maybe kind of lurking fears around what would happen if they actually were to get married yeah i found this conversation like i watch okay Full disclosure, I watch The Bachelor and Bachelorette, so you get to see a lot of these conversations happen on my Monday nights especially. But I felt like this is the one where I'm like, this is exactly what she keeps saying that she wants. Like, she wants to be near her family. She wants to stay in England. He also comments that he wants a lot of kids running around, which is all that she said. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is, like, so obviously the right values matching. But yet she's, like, not into him when she keeps staring at Simon the whole time. And it just made me think, I'm like, people are really dumb. Like, people never want what they say they want, you know? Even when it's right in front of your face, it's literally Prince Charming offering you the dream life that you say you want. And even, like, even then, you can't even keep your eyes on him. And after this, we get to see the Duke and Anthony in the club, (laughs) where basically the Duke tells Anthony he's leaving. And Anthony's like, okay, like, after all that's been said and done, like, I'm glad you were really honorable after all of this. Like, you, you said what you were going to do. You're not going to marry Daphne, but you're going to excuse yourself so she can do what she needs to. So kind of like their friendship on the mend. 
And then the prince arrives and, you know, asks for Anthony. I think we're kind of all assuming he is asking some big question. And I know that I've always been really down on Anthony and haven't truly forgiven him since a lot of the early episode actions that he took. But he does come to Daphne almost right away after hearing the prince's intentions lets her know that he's planning to propose and that he is going to respect whatever decision that Daphne makes. And to your credit, Sabrina, I think you'd never given up on Anthony. So I guess he's he has learned at least something from the Burbrook experience and is now letting Daphne make her own calls. Yeah. Team Anthony, you can't see me raising my hands, but I'm excited for him. <laughs> I thought this scene was pretty redeeming. I mean, he is the prince. Probably pre-Anthony would have accepted this. Even probably any dad would have accepted this without even asking, right? No one wants to say no to a prince. But yeah, I think it was a good turning point. Next scene between Lady Bridgerton and Daphne is one of the best done ones that I've seen in this show up until now. It was incredibly touching to watch Daphne reveal that it's a ruse and seeing how her mother reacted. I think nobody really knew exactly how she was going to react, whether it was like with anger until like, how could you do this? Like, how could you, you know, trick your own mother? But instead, you just see Lady Bridgerton's face fall. But then she almost kind of quickly picks herself up when she realizes that Daphne is really hurting. And that as she's telling her this, even though, you know, she might want to scold her, or be angry, she puts aside those feelings to be the parent, to be the adult in the situation and tell her things are going to be okay. You know, she can, she's her mom. She can kind of tell that she's a little heartbroken. Yeah, I, I really felt for Daphne, like this mother-daughter relationship in the moment when Daphne said, I don't have to pretend anymore. And then starts bawling, like, you know, like a second later. Yeah, It's just like, you know, Daphne has been trying to lie to herself too. I think for me, what was the most interesting part about this scene is that it might be the first time that Daphne actually really realizes that she's starting to love the Duke. Obviously, in the previous episode, when Simon breaks it off with her and tells her they were never friends, she's crying and she runs to her room. But that could also, you know, just be like a feeling a little bit betrayed or tricked by someone that you were getting along really well with. And if I had any friend, someone who I thought was a really good friend, tell me like, no, it was just a convenience. You're never actually friends. I would be bawling regardless of any romantic feelings. To me, the scene with her mom where she says, you know, I don't have to pretend anymore. I think it's her also recognizing I love Simon and she didn't fully kind of understand that before. Yep. And the caller plays a big part in this as well. Like it's one thing to know that you can't have who you're falling in love with, but to actually have to like physically put a leash on yourself basically and chain yourself to someone else. I I had this like quote that I pulled out from this and I was wondering if you read it the same way where she basically says, it's a beautiful necklace. I should like it very much. I didn't know if this was just like how they spoke in the day or if it was like the should really stood out to me as saying like, you know, I really should like this and I will, I will come to like this. But like right now, it's nothing more than a pretty necklace. I think your reading is entirely correct. This is actually, in my opinion, historically accurate English to say that I should like something very much. And it's a way of saying like, I do like it. But the way that they're using it clearly with our modern audience is she knows that right now she might not, but she may learn to actually like it, aka learn to love the prince. Yep. So then we move to another ball where Cressida and Daphne have a bit of a confrontation where Cressida effectively says, you know, like, 
why did you have to take the prince from me? You already had Simon. I think she says something along the lines of, I knew that we would be competitors, but I didn't know you would be so, you know, vicious as to take away something that I wanted. Yeah, she basically says, like, (laughs) you had your choice of suitors. Like, they were lined up outside your house, and you're choosing the one that chose me. Which, I mean, like, fair, but at the same time, it's the prince. So (laughs) I think you're competing for the best prize rather than everyone else. But I think Daphne's lying back. She's like, the man made his choice, Cressida. And I was just like, oh, like, <laughs> smack down back in, like, that age. <laughs> Basically, you know, it's pretty much just reminding Cressida and herself probably that they don't really have the say at the end of the day. Like, she can go for the prince or not. But the prince is making the choice. It's not her fault. I also, I still am not convinced that Friedrich likes Cressida and or would, you know, be more interested in her if Daphne had not suddenly kind of stepped up. I'm not convinced. I guess, like, I, I still don't know. I, I guess I'm kind of divided on that subject. But in any case, it at least felt to Cressida that she was close to the prize. And now she's definitely not. I think at some point right around here, the Viscountess is offered a glass of champagne and instead of sipping at it, she downs that glass of champagne. So I'm definitely wondering what is going through her head right now. Why is she so stressed? And I've had that moment before, too. I know exactly, you know, the feeling of getting offered a glass of some champagne or wine and being like, I need this. I, you know, I'm, I'm so stressed right now. I'm kind of impressed. I feel like champagne for me is a little bit harder to chug than other drinks. <laughs> <laughs> Benedict is also visiting Mr. Randall's studio for the first time. And when he gets there, he's kind of surprised by what he sees. I think one of the most interesting things is actually that they're not that they have nude models posing, but the fact that there are men and women drawing side by side. What I also enjoyed here was Mr. Granville telling Benedict, you know what, there are some advantages to being the second born. Because in this society, being the firstborn male heir is such a huge deal. It really determines your fate. It determines what you'll inherit. And of course, then how potential marriage partners are going to react to you and how desirable you are on the marriage market. So as a secondborn myself, I definitely felt a little bit of like, you know what? You enjoy the advantages of being a secondborn. All right. From there, we go back to the ball. Sienna is singing because I think she's hired for every single event that it's ever hosted. <laughs> but not only is she singing, she's singing in lingerie. Like she looks like she's like part of the Victoria's Secret fashion show almost. And Anthony like could not stop himself. Like he's pretty much almost drooling. And Lady Bridgerton notices, tries to bring over a girl to introduce to him. And he like cannot focus on the conversation, which is another place where more drinks for Lady B. She downs another glass right after this. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. She's having she's having a good time at this ball. Or at least trying to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's trying to make the, you know, what was the phrase from last episode? She's trying to make the most of the card she's been dealt this ball. We also then see that Mr. Finch has been chased away. And instead of Lord Featherington, you know, trying to help his daughter, it turns out he was actually the one who pushed him away. And then he just tells Lady Featherington that, like, just wait until next season. Like, stop worrying about our daughters getting married this season. Yeah, it definitely was surprising. There was a comment right when this ball started where Philippa is taken away by Mr. Finch. And Lady Featherington says to Lord Featherington, like, maybe we'll have two weddings this season. And he's like, we'll see. And so a lot of marital problems probably going on between the two of them in terms of communication and goals. But 
Yeah, too bad for Mr. Finch. They were cute. I like when they talked about cheese. I was like, this is such a weird topic. I mean, I love cheese too. I feel like if I were in this era and, you know, the only other questions we've seen people talk about are like, would you prefer to live in the country or the city? I would much rather talk about what's your favorite type of cheese. So then we cut to Eloise rifling through the housekeeper's room looking for her whistle-down papers. And, of course, the housekeeper comes in, finds her, and confronts her. It was kind of funny because Eloise tries to pull rank on her. She's like, yes, you you, you must answer to me. I am a Bridgerton. And her housekeeper isn't having any of it. She's like, no, get out. And you are absolutely ridiculous if you think I or any other servant has the time to be running around, writing these things, printing these whistle down papers. You know, you're supposed to be the smart one. You're clearly not right now. Okay. Well, it's not a servant. Glad she moved on past that one. And from there, okay, we get a quick snippet of another Penelope and Colin scene where they have kind of a quick laugh together before she makes a joke saying like Marina must want to be rescued right now and Colin actually does go and rescue her from Rutledge. This is another sad moment for Penelope. Like she was finally like having her moment with Colin and then immediately loses him back to Marina. I mean, I guess, but I just don't see any romantic interest from Colin and Penelope, whether or not Marina is in the picture. I think he sees her as his little sister's best friend. And he's ne- he's a very nice guy. Colin is a great guy. And Penelope is clearly into him, but I don't see it reciprocated. And from there, we have another kind of awkward interaction where basically Daphne and the prince are dancing. He's trying to pop the question to her, of, will you marry me? And Daphne cannot handle it like excuses herself, bumps into Cressida, runs to the garden, rips off her necklace, and was, of course, found by the Duke a few seconds later. (laughs) I mean, I think everything about this scene was kind of annoying to me again, where the fact that the prince is trying to propose to her in the middle of this dance where you're clearly constantly switching partners, I know it's supposed to be comedic, but it just felt like super poor planning on his part. Also, doing it in the middle of the dance floor while dancing, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but that seems like a terrible proposal. Her, like, crashing into Cressida, she is constantly doing this. And the first episode, she crashes into Simon, and now she's crashing into Cressida. And she's always running off into gardens all the time, even though this clearly keeps leading to problems. Yeah, I... I think people can't see my eye rolls as you're talking about this, but that's how I feel about this scene. Like it, it is comedically like a torturous scene to watch for me because, you know, she's just all over the place. Assignment is not much better. Like, you know, just like let it go. If you were going to find her, like why follow her out to the garden, like talk to her in the ballroom where it'd be appropriate. Right. Yeah. It felt so childish when she was like, I am going to be a princess and stamps her foot. Um, Like, Daphne, you're supposed to be finding a life partner and, you know, taking this really seriously. And that was just such, like, a cringeworthy, childish moment. I also just hated Simon in the scene. Like, he knows he doesn't want to marry her. And yet he keeps, like, asking her, like, will you be happy? Are you sure you'll be happy? And it's like, what are you you doing? Like, stop getting in the way of this when you're not going to do anything real about it, you know? Well, of course, then he does do something real about it which is follows her into the supposed secluded garden, kisses her kind of chastely, and then, you know, she pulls him in for a much bigger, like, actual makeout sesh. And who shows up but Anthony? I mean, okay, 
Also, I like Anthony in the scene. <laughs> like, I was like, when he punched him, and I was like, okay, like, first, like, really appropriate punch by Anthony <laughs> in this show. Like, he really deserved it. Like, Simon deserved this punch, like, more than anything. Uh, and I thought, like, his, like, Anthony's lines of saying, like, you duped us both kind of, like, stuck out to me as well as he was like, I knew you were a rake, but I never knew you were a villain. And it's just like, that was your best friend, like, your supposedly very close friend. Yeah, like, Anthony is understandably pissed in this moment. And then when Simon says that he cannot marry her, Anthony says, all right, then we need to duel. There's only one way to settle this. And I 100% understood Daphne in this moment when she was like, I literally do not understand why you would rather potentially die or kill my brother than marry me. Or, you know, you told me before that I'm not the worst option out there. I was flabbergasted. You've just like made out groped in the garden and then (laughs) you're like, I cannot. Yeah, definitely strange. Right afterwards, we have a scene between Marina and Penelope where they're talking about Colin and Marina is actually starting to catch some feelings for Colin. And she says, you know, he's not like the other suitors. I think he'll actually be a really good father. He, he could be the one. And then she says, you know, because you're really close to Eloise, you know, and obviously they're, they're also cousins, that if she marries Colin, we'll all be sisters and we'll be t- here together in London. <laughs> can Marina not notice that Penelope like, doesn't want to talk about this? Like, I feel like this is like one of those times you can tell your friend is possibly into the other guy. I was kind of surprised that she just kept going. And Penelope is a bit of a pushover. Like, she doesn't ever tell her, like, stop or, like, Colin's mine. But, yeah, the, the we'll practically be sisters. Like, I just, like, eye-rolled hard during it, even right now. Usually I'm the one who's constantly cringing and eye-rolling. And it's kind of funny to see from the other side you reacting so strongly to this scene because for me, actually, I felt for Marina again here where she's in London for the first time maybe ever with people she doesn't know, family that she's never met before. She doesn't have any friends except Penelope. And she's going through a lot right now. You know, like she's pregnant. The baby daddy doesn't want anything to do with her anymore. She's being told to marry as quickly as possible. I actually think... I can understand why she's confiding in Penelope and can only assume that Penelope has her best in mind, too. I, I guess it's true. I guess I feel for Penelope. I'm just like, like, I just wish Penelope would have stood up for herself a bit more and it was like any other guy but him, you know, like, this is the one guy I like <laughs> and just like put it out there. Uh, otherwise, like, yeah, you're just you're not asking for it, but you're letting it happen. Right. I mean, I think that's why I'm less maybe empathetic to Penelope here is because I feel like it would have been so easy for her to just say, hey, you know, I don't know how Colin feels about me, but I just want you to know since we're close and you're starting to talk to him more that I actually really have feelings for him. And it's making me, you know, sad or uncomfortable to see you courting him so aggressively. So again, it's one of those like TV tropes where it could have been solved by communication because maybe Marina would not have backed off. Maybe she would have said, you know, I fully respect that you like Colin. I don't see, you know, him making any moves or gestures towards you. And he is towards me. And I have a serious like countdown basically going on here. But at least I guess I I like those. Like, I like it when two adults are able to have a mature conversation, even if they both have feelings for the same person. And I think Penelope robbed herself of that chance here. I agree. And Penelope can't tell 
Marina how she feels, but she can kind of take it out on Eloise. Oh, man. So Eloise visits. I love how she throws rocks at Penelope's window. I yeah. was like, is it Colin? And I was like, no, it's not. It's Eloise. <laughs> but yeah, like Eloise is trying to tell Penelope all about her like findings about Lady Whistledown is not a servant, uh, which, you know, and Penelope's just like not into it. Like, oh, she, she's going through a lot of feelings. And she kind of takes it out on Eloise, just saying, like, I don't care about Lady Whistledown. Like, pe- people have ma- real mature problems. And kind of ending it with, like, a big slap saying, like, not everyone can be a pretty Bridgerton. Like, not everyone's life will be as easy as yours. I have to say, in this scene, you know, I think you really think I like Eloise, even though I actually don't like her that much. I think sometimes she has great lines. There's a lot about her that I do generally empathize with as you know someone who really wants to make I really want to make my own way in life too so I empathize with that but this scene was pretty brutal I felt really bad for her I can definitely remember times in my own childhood and you know when I was a young adult where I thought something was a really big deal and I'd go you know to a friend and they would basically tell me like you're such a child like you know your problems aren't real problems and you know just make you feel like really bad about what you care about And then I think the other slap in the face, like you said, was telling her not everyone can be a pretty Bridgerton. Everyone considers Daphne to be the beautiful Bridgerton. And sure, you know, Eloise isn't supposed to be like ugly or particularly unattractive, but nobody has ever called her the pretty one. And that's very much, you know, the role she's played, you know, always second fiddle to Daphne. So to have Penelope kind of ignore that and say, you know, like kind of disregard her feelings with regards to that, I thought was just kind of cruel. I didn't take it that way because in the beginning of the show, when the Bridgertons are introduced, they say they have like all of the Bridgerton girls are perfectly pretty and the men are like perfectly handsome. So I assumed that that meant all the Bridgertons are regarded to be very attractive. I think from that intro, at least that that's the way we're supposed to be regarding the Bridgertons. Well, at least that's the way that Lady Whistledown does. I mean, we don't know how Eloise herself feels. I mean, I think if you're in a family, even if you're pretty objectively good looking yourself, if you have a sibling of the same gender who is considered to be the diamond of the season and everyone is really making a huge deal out of, you're never going to feel like you always compare yourself to things that are better than yourself. Right. And so I think for Eloise, she's probably always feeling like she's not actually that pretty. At least, you know, if I'm trying to put myself in her shoes. I'm laughing because for you and I, it's not that, it's not that, like, it's not, you know, you are not Eloise, to give people an example. Like, we both uh, lived in Japan at one point and shared a same host mother. And at one point in a conversation with me, she told me, like, oh, Sabrina, you're pretty. You're cute, but Kat is beautiful. Like, Kat is a model. And she did this in front of a full group of people. And so I'm just like, I'm used to it. Like, yes, Kat is my very, like, very, very pretty sister. I get it. But I thought it was hilarious to hear you reference that because it's it's just so opposite. I mean, that host mom, I don't know why, but she really loved me. So there's definitely some bias there. I, I connected a lot more with Penelope in this scene than I think you connected more with Eloise. Even I, okay, to be fair. I, I joke now that Eloise is your fairy character because I find this like internally funny to me that I keep calling her that. Uh, but I think for Penelope, like, I think this was just an example of a conversation when you both have things going on, but neither of you can mm-hmm. recognize that someone else is going through something, you know, and you just like take yeah. it out on each other and feel like the other person isn't valuing you. 
and you know, they're young. And I guess Penelope, I didn't think about this before, but you know, Penelope can't confide in Eloise about this problem either because Colin is Eloise's big brother. And if they haven't talked about Penelope's feelings for them before, I don't think now is going to be the moment where she's like, you know what, actually I'm kind of in love with your brother. But yeah, I mean, even earlier in their conversation while they were shopping, Penelope tells Eloise that she does want to be married. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. this is like a life that she still wants to have. And it's it's funny when she causes like real mature people problems. But it also feels bad because like you can imagine yourself in a friend fight like this. What did you think of the next scene where Daphne and Anthony are talking after the ball? I feel like this is like when you feel like you're talking to a wall. <laughs> like, you know, like Anthony is really pissed right now. Like, I think it's he's not going to listen to reason. He has made his decision. He has very strong feelings about not only Daphne's been disrespected, but him as a best friend and the entire family. I'm not surprised that he just kept like deflecting everything she was saying. But that's kind of how it made me feel. It just like you're talking to a wall. You're not going to get anywhere at this conversation. Man, is today Friday the 13th or are we in the upside down right now? Because I thought you were team Anthony, team Daphne, but today it's actually going to be me where I actually think that Anthony was pretty reasonable, all things considered. I mean, in their society, what Simon and Daphne did in the garden is basically an unforgivable offense and I thought it was nice that he didn't blame Daphne personally. I know that she tried to make it into this whole pseudo-feminist stance. Basically, it felt like she was just trying to pick a fight with Anthony from my perspective. But to me, I actually thought it was like a nice thing where he was not like shaming her. And I think it easily could have gone the other direction where he was like, how could you do this? You know, like everyone knows that, you know, men are men and Simon is the rake amongst rakes. But for you to have done this, and he doesn't do that. And then also, I think that Daphne doesn't seem to fully recognize the severity of the situation, and Anthony does, where he says, you know, maybe you're okay with being a ruined, fallen woman who doesn't get married or whatever, but do you realize that you have these younger sisters and these brothers? All of us are affected by your shame, all of us, but especially your younger sisters, not just because you're setting a bad model for them, but because you're going to decrease the chances that they're able to find appropriate eligible suitors when their time comes. Yeah, I mean, I guess he didn't get to see that she she was one that like kissed him back, basically, so he didn't get to see her part in it. And I do understand what she was trying to do. She was just trying to like take more of the blame and not get Simon shot pretty much or put her own brother at risk. But you're right. I think I did definitely appreciate the scene where Anthony is telling her that this affects the entire family and kind of reminding Mm -hmm. her of what is at stake. When I said Anthony is pissed and it's like talking to a wall, I still think he has his bare points too. I'm just saying like it felt almost like a needless conversation because you're not going to get anywhere when Mm -hmm. someone's in that state. So what I actually love is that they're having this super heated, intense conversation where, you know, he's about to go duel Simon, his best friend, supposedly. And then, you know, Benedict comes stumbling in all happy from, you know, his night out at the studio where he's finally recognizing that there's some advantages to being a second born son. And then Anthony is like, you know what, I'm about to duel. You're going to be my second. If I lose and I die, you'll be the head of, you'll be the new head of the family. 
if I win and kill Simon, I will have to flee the country and you'll effectively be the head of the family. So kind of no matter what, Benedict, you're about to be the new head of the family, even though you just accepted and embraced um, not having to be the firstborn son. Yeah, I wrote sucks to suck. Uh, like, I hope he enjoyed his last night of freedom. It's almost like when you have your bachelorette or bachelor night, but you didn't, you weren't told that, that was it. You were just told afterwards. So I think he, he, he surprisingly handles it pretty well. He's just like, okay, yeah, let's go. You know, like, I mean, right. I don't know if he's just in shock or, you know, he kind of understands the severity of the situation as well, but he makes no move to tell Anthony no. I did appreciate the comedic relief of Lady Bridgerton showing up drunk with Colin and then Colin's line like when they call Colin in with like his two brothers behind the door he's like good god did someone die I'm also just glad that we got to see the Viscountesses the aftermath of the Viscountess having drank so many glasses of champagne at that ball I'm glad she's a happy drunk (laughs) like it makes her me like her more from here we're brought into the Featherington's household for a quick shot of basically Lady Featherington has found that Lord Featherington has run them into extreme debt from his gambling and she knows everything that she sees all of his ledgers and especially that he spent everything including the dowries for their children so that's like probably a major reason why they can't have any wedding because there's no money to give away philippa even if she wants to get married right this is you know this is the scene where we understand why lord featherington pushed away mr finch earlier again you know more and more i would say lady featherington's character has grown on me because This poor woman, she just has like one disaster happen to her after another. And yes, you know, she's a greedy social climber and they love to make fun of her taste in clothing and everything. But honestly, it's like everything just keeps getting worse for her. Yeah, that was was terrible. That'd be like the worst thing. But it was interesting that she was just like, what are you going to do about it? He just like breaks down. And I was like, oh, God, like he's not going to do anything like she has to fix this too. Yeah, exactly. I think in that moment, she, you know, she's confronting him. She's really angry. And then it turns into, I am, again, the only adult in this room and he's not going to do anything about it. It's up to me. From there, Daphne has decided she wants to go interrupt the duel. She talks to Colin and that triggers a memory that she realizes that Cressida actually knows that Simon and her were together in the garden. I was curious, like I was asking myself, I'm like, how much did Cressida see? I was kind of confused, like how much did she actually see? You know, I think even if she didn't actually see anything, remember that Daphne like crashed into her. So that definitely caught her notice that she was leaving and upset while leaving probably. And if she sees Daphne come back in and looking upset with Simon and her brother right on her heels, I don't think it's, I think she was probably just kind of guessing around trying to like see if she could hit a mark and she didn't in the moment. But like you said, even if she didn't actually see anything, it's enough for them to have been alone. Daphne's expression, her overreacting and suddenly leaving the balls, you know, enough ammo for Cressida to at least be able to guess that something less than appropriate happened out there. Yeah. Also, I kind of am wondering if Cressida took the necklace because <laughs> Daphne left it there. <laughs> We have no idea what happened to that really damn expensive necklace. Like, <laughs> I didn't even think of the necklace, but that's okay. I hope Cressida got it. I, I wish she took it off and ran off into the garden. I'm like, get your necklace. Like, pick it up at least. Like, you don't need to put it on. Like, why would you leave that there? Yeah, I, mean, I don't think I ever get my answer in this episode, what happens to the necklace. Uh, but I, I kind of hope it comes back later. 
at the duel scene, we see Anthony give Benedict his father's watch, which is actually a huge scene. And, you know, kind of to us as like modern viewers, we might not recognize the seriousness of that moment. But historically, it's a huge moment to pass on. So we know things are getting serious. And then he also tells Benedict, if I die, there's someone I need you to provide for. I need you to take care of Sienna for me. Yeah, I was kind of surprised that he put Sienna to provide for. Because, like, you know, he's never really made that commitment out loud so far. Uh, and I was like, oh, okay, so, like, if he dies, this is it. You know, like, has he made this decision? And if he lives, like, what happens? Like, you know, is he really running off with Sienna? Has he made that decision for sure? Of course, at that point, Daphne dramatically shows up and falls off her horse when Anthony fires the gun. And he doesn't seem to fire anywhere that close to her, but it's enough to make the horse rear up and her fall off and stay still enough on the ground for a moment to have all of them scared. And then Daphne's like, you know what, Simon, you and I need a moment alone now. Come talk to me. And then... What Simon says, I know I said this already, that there were so many best lines of this episode, but maybe this one takes the cake when he says, it is because I hold you in such high regard that I cannot marry you. And I'm like, oh my God, this is such a fuckboy line. If I were a dude, I would use this line all the time. It's so bad. It's like absolutely this Victorian era version of it's not me, it's you, or, you know, I'm not ready for commitment. Like so bad. So then we get the big reveal from Anthony, where he says, the reason I can't marry you besides this whole I hold you in such high regard, you know, bullshit reason that he just gave her is that I can never give you children. And it's a very specific way that he phrases this. I don't know if you noticed, but it's not like I don't want to have children or I am like physically unable to. The way he says it is kind of just vague enough that I think if I were her, I would interpret it in the, like, I'm physically incapable of giving you children way. And he references the fact that he knows it's her dream to have children and, like, this house filled with light and laughter, just like what she grew up with. And I actually don't remember them having had a conversation like this. So I was like, did he just eavesdrop on her conversation with Friedrich at the match? Because that's the only time I remember her having it in a place where he was anywhere around. Yeah, I was trying to think, like, I think he assumes this multiple times that she wants children, maybe in their first, like, meetings, right, when they're getting acquainted, when they're they're doing that, like, flirtatious, like, I'm not interested in you banter. But, yeah, I thought it was very specific, a house filled with light and laughter. <laughs> and then I was kind of confused when Daphne just, like, turns around and says, like, the Duke and I are to be married. And he doesn't say no. I was just like, okay, like, I guess he's fine with it. Like, that he, if she accepts the terms, then he's okay. I mean, I, I think what was surprising about that specific part was that she interpreted that as a proposal, even though if I were her, I would not have interpreted that as a proposal. I would have interpreted that as a we're breaking up sort of line in, in modern terms. Yeah, I was confused. But what's new? in the show for me. Uh, Okay. So that was episode four and we will be back with episode five soon. Mm -hmm.